Hey guys, welcome to the debrief of our episode. This is our recording of the episode after the episode, which we do call the debrief. You're a premium subscriber, so you know what's up. This is after our episode with Vitalik Buterin, the first time we've brought on Vitalik in a post-merge world. Uh, it was really cool to get his perspective. And while we talked a lot about Ethereum, uh, there were some learnings for me in this episode. Uh, we also talked about kind of the, the broader landscape of where he see, sees Ethereum fitting in and even the broader technology landscape, artificial intelligence, that sort of thing. Maybe um, I, I'm going to ask you what, what sort, of, sort of stood out to you in this episode, but like then maybe we can kind of divide this because mm. I do want to talk about all of the Ethereum things. There are some right. things I learned, David. Talk about that separate from uh, kind of the, the second part of this entire episode. But I guess high level, what stuck out from, from you in this conversation with Vitalik? Is this the same old Vitalik? Is this a you know new proof of stake version of Vitalik? Yeah, I don't think Vitalik himself has changed. Uh, I think he has lived in a post-merge state of Ethereum for a while because you know he's, he's not down in the weeds, he's not shipping the code, he's more doing the high level philosophy stuff. And so he's, I think he's been looking beyond the merge for a long time. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not really privy to his relationship with like Tim Bako, Danny Ryan, or some of the coordinators. Um, but like, do you think? Do you think this felt like a load off his chest though? Like getting this thing shipped. I mean, it probably felt probably. like he had, like probably. he had promised. It probably felt to him like he had promised proof of stake to not only the Ethereum community but the crypto community. You know, some of his first words were like, "Yeah, proof now the, the trolls." Yeah. And the haters can no longer say Ethereum will never be able to ship proof of stake because guess what? Right. We did. And he's not a braggadocious story. Right. He's not going to do like the mic drop and like right. suck it. But um, <laughs> I wish he would, though. It kind of I kind of want that <laughs> like <laughs> Vitalik for like 2023. But um, I think there's got to be an element of like a load lifted off right. his chest you know like one of do my think, comments was like do you think he feels like he promised proof of stake i know he like said like yeah ethereum is going to be proof of stake but also I I mean, he's not ceo of ethereum like he has given other people control over ethereum i'm I not know, sure if like of... we haven't if we never shipped proof of stake vitalik would be like damn that was my fault i don't think he well would how would like you that. feel or how do you think the community would react if before shipping proof of stake vitalik like um just yoloed out of here it was just like, eh, I'm done Ethereum. I'm going to go work on life extension stuff. And like, you wanted to decentralize the thing anyway. Right. You know, see you later. And like, he just, he pieced out like Good two or three years ago. <laughs> right? I think he would feel some obligation yeah. to actually like finish the project he started. And yeah. proof of stake was a key commitment. It was like, right. if you think about the key commitments for Ethereum, it's threefold to me. It's like, Smart contracts, yeah. got it, like from inception. Proof of stake, okay, and sharding. Scale. Like those are scale. the three basic not, things. Not sharding, scale. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, scale. But like mm -hmm. it, it soon became evident that like sharding was the way that the it, Ethereum right? roadmap uh, intended to scale. And of course, that's come to mean like data sharding and rollups and only mm -hmm. that. But like, um, yeah, it feels like the the, the project the. The white paper, the implementation of the white paper isn't complete until you have at least those three things. And you're still preserving the commitments of censorship resistance and decentralization. So, yeah, I do feel like it would be an unfinished project. I, I think the assurances that we were going to get proof of stake occurred as soon as we came out of the bear market. Not even well before the beacon chain even launched. So I guess actually what that kind of happened around about? the same time. 2020, 2020? early 2020. Yeah. Well, I guess... 
by late 2020, it was obvious we were in a bull market. Like the and like, chain launching, was it for you? No, I say even before that, it was more about funding. Like, I think if you get really close to the Ethereum client teams, core devs, coordinators, Vitalik, I don't think there was like any risk to not shipping proof of stake. It was only a matter of time once they figured it out. Like if you come from like the external, if you come from a Bitcoiner like perspective, they're like, yeah, they just like spun wheels for six years and then they decided to ship proof of stake and then they did it. Uh, but they, there was a <laughs> chance that they like. didn't do it. Yeah, that's what like, yeah, like from the external standpoint, they're like, yeah, they almost didn't ship proof of, proof of stake. Like, no, yeah. proof of stake was always coming. It was always going to happen. It was a matter of time. I, so like, I, I never, I think the risk of a, a non-Ethereum shipping proof of stake is like below 5%. I didn't feel that way back in 2019, probably most, like for the first part of right, 2020. Right, because we were running out of well, I guess it was money. Like people said it was money, but I didn't like money was not the thing to me. To me, it was like we didn't have client teams stepping up and implementing it. It felt to me like um, the Ethereum Foundation was kind of like researchers and like we're creating specs and we're creating the protocol and like here's how we should do it. And it was all like the ETH research forms. And then I kept going back to like when I was trying to figure out how long it would take and whether Ethereum is something I should like um count on or not um like as an investor like looking at it i was like where what are the team like where's the team that's actually going to ship the code and then the ethereum foundation's going like oh we're not going to do that it's going to be external teams and i'm going like uh you you guys sure about that because if you look at if you look at the other eth killers right the client team and the foundation it's all one and the same they're doing one client one foundation one company yeah fundraise. and then and then we had some people at that time for me i was go back to like raul and preston from prismatic who stepped up and were like i will go you know like like frodo at the, like the council of elrond <laughs> like yeah i will go though i do not know the way and they kind of stepped up and they were like we'll, we'll build this thing and that started to give me like the first hopes but there was a time for me where it wasn't so inevitable that I didn't know that it wasn't just it wasn't really the funding for me it was like i don't know that we have the um expertise the code writing Mm -hmm. ability to pull this off and what if the ef is just doing things in an ivory tower and like there's no one here to actually engineer the thing no one's listening it's just like a thought experiment yeah Yeah. that that was a worry for me that you know evaporated as i saw progress but um it wasn't immediate and i would have counted it the risk higher Okay, so I'll count that as like a an era of ETH development vibe, ETH development meta. The next era was like what I talked about in the show was like the era of proof of stake, like the launch of the beacon chain, the readiness of the beacon chain, getting ready for the merge, and then the actual merge. I guess we might still be in that um, because of withdrawals, but once we get withdrawals enabled, then like the era of shipping proof of stake is over because it's fully shipped. Well, the merge and like, is I, done I, I on think his roadmap, the, right? Yeah, right. We're like, you know, check mark, it's done. Uh, and what I was, I was going with, with Vitalik, I think is my biggest takeaway is like, we've gone from an, an era of Ethereum developer, like meta of like, kind of at least externally looks like a chicken with its head cut off. And now yes. it's starting to get like really process. Yeah. There's momentum, there's process, there's organization, there's coordination, there's execution. And like this, I've been saying this for so long is like Ethereum developers are getting good at shipping. Like they yeah, figured it out. Are. And the merge is like the biggest dub proving it that is so flawless and so good, even though it was not on time, even though whatever that, that even means, 
it was shipped eight years and like (laughs) eight whatever a few a number of extended years later yeah um but like the after that like i don't know how complicated proto dank charting is non-trivial i'm sure not as complicated as the merge because that's what danny ryan and tim bako said it's like the merge is the most complicated thing and with what vitalik saying is like yo we're gonna ship slower uh, as in, like, our, 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 the fire under the ass is going to get cranked down, and so we're going to have a more calm period. But when we do ship, it's going to be very perfected code, and it's going to be, like, on a, on a drum beat, and it's going to be yeah, the, the, rate, the rate of shipping is going to be strong. I think another say, way to say what you're saying is, like, the execution risk for the rest of this roadmap has it's dropped. dropped. significantly and this is from a perception perspective but also like a reality perspective but like the evidence you have is shipping the beacon chain flawless Mm -hmm. shipping the merge some of the hardest eips are behind us uh Mm -hmm. and now we just have the rest of this to go and so for me well well in you know 2019 i was worried does does Mm -hmm. ethereum have the actual juice to pull this off from an engineering perspective now i'm no longer worried now i see this roadmap in front of us and by the way, we didn't even have a we didn't have a roadmap like this right. in 2019. That's the yeah, other we, thing. We would have loved that. I would have would have loved a roadmap, but did not have that. But now we have a roadmap. We have a uh, an ecosystem, a community that can ship, knows how to ship, has this momentum. On it's, oh, it's only a question of of like when, not if. Right. They can. Pull and the beautiful off the rest thing. A lot of those uh, parts about the roadmap in that graphic have like progress already made. Yes. And all the developers were, have been working on the merge for the past two years. So right. all of that capacity is going on to the new things. Yeah. I mean, should be a, a hard fork in every three months from now on, huh, David? Yeah, it's, yeah it's right. Easy. Like, you know, <laughs> wind sharding, actually. I take that yeah, back. No, wind, seriously. Wind sharding. They've had a week. It's been a week. <laughs> yeah. Just merged a week ago. We're sharding. Yeah, yeah next. <laughs> See, that's what happens. We get greedy and spoiled. But yeah, I, I do think that's a major change. Um, that uh, mm-hmm. Ethereum has had. So as Vitalik went through this whole um, this whole list, back through the kind of the, the surge, the verge, the purge, and the splurge, some of that was rehash for me. I think one thing that stuck out was the whole um, single slot finality, the puts and takes of that decision. Yeah, which yeah I, that's news to me. I sort of flagged that for like, hey, I'm gonna go back and, and listen. Re- re- yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if uh, bankless listeners, you guys are like me, but I actually listen to our podcasts sometimes, like. <laughs> again particularly yeah. when it's mm-hmm. um fatalic for, for example because when we're recording david i probably catch i don't know 50 to 60 percent yeah yeah uh-huh. and this is partially because like we're thinking of like oh how do we keep the conversation yeah, flowing he's got next question yeah. so it's like podcast admin but then it's also like these are hard topics i mean this is a language that is not my right. my primary language like i don't speak um verbal tree like do you <laughs> right like and, i do not speak verbal tree okay so the that has to be like filtered and like I, it's hard for me to sort of understand mm-hmm. so i have to go back through but anyway the single slot finality it seemed like there was a a fork in the road and there were two choices and both these choices have trade-offs um and it seemed like one of the trade-offs was um you know if we go in one direction we get some benefit but we might have to increase the amount of ETH required from 32 to actually higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another direction is we could actually decrease the, the amount of ETH required and the community has to make a decision. And um, that's not gonna be an easy one because no. I will say, at least from a, like a, 
a dumb user perspective like you and I, um, sorry, just me, you're a smart user, but like from a user perspective, it's just like, uh, no, 32 should be going down, not yeah, number go down. It's a magic number and you can't right. increase it. It's like trying to increase issuance. You don't right. do that. Yeah. You, don't, so, you only make it easier to stake. You don't make it harder to stake. Yeah. So that'll be, no matter what trade-offs on the other side, I think that'll be a hard conversation yeah yeah pill mm -hmm. to swallow for the community but right. i need to explore that um i don't know right. if you have any thoughts but i on think that. what he was saying is like it doesn't have, it turns into an arbitrary number and becomes easier to stake anyways i don't know i think i think net easiness to stake barriers to entry to stake always go down it's just like what do we prioritize and how we get there but again i think research for another time I yeah, yeah definitely go into the one of the few times I'll go into the Ethereum research website. <laughs> yeah, that was that was flagged in my mind. And I think Vitalik is also signaling. Like sometimes when he comes on the Bankless podcast or other podcasts, he's also like um, throws stuff out there for the community right. to hear and start to discuss. And I think that was his signal for like, hey, let's start to discuss this. I want to get this in front right. of people because no one's really talking about it. And then um, we have obviously, so from the roadmap perspective to me, it seems like withdrawals, like that's the next most important thing. Everyone kind mm -hmm. of agrees. Right. And then 4844 dank sharding is kind of the big the big feature up, upgrade after that. That probably won't get in the next update, but it may. There's a small chance. And like the rest of this is um, stuff that I've kind of like, I think we've talked about on Bankless. We kind of know about. Like, we haven't talked about ZK PBS. snarking everything. No, dude, that, that's cool too. That sounds like goddamn crypto graphic magic. Yeah. Well, he made the statement that ZK snarks are actually just Could as fundamentally important as blockchains. Yeah, yeah. Themselves from it. Right. What? Why? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't get that. Can someone explain that? Because like, is a, a, a snark is is it was it a snark? Yeah, yeah, he said ZK snark specifically. Z, ZK yeah, snark snarks. everything. Right. Uh, I'm kind of confused how like one application of cryptography can be more influential than like. A collection of many independent technologies that compose a blockchain. I don't. I don't know what he meant. But so, what is ZK, what is zk snarking everything actually give you? It allows you to it's run like, it's a like, validator yeah, it's, it's on like, phone. Yeah, it's like put, making your uh, if Ethereum in its current form is like a super awesome fighter jet, take an F twenty two. I actually do know my planes. Um, <laughs> uh, it's ZK snarking everything. It's like turning it into a stealth plane, a stealth fighter jet. As in, like it is the smallest, oh, leanest, most powerful machine. And so yeah. it goes from a big hunk and chunk of metal that's good, but then it makes it like invisible. It's like, oh yeah, it's like it can do it all. It's like also it's super compressed. It's super private. Uh, it's it's super embedded into the internet. You can't get rid of it. But what it's does like, this mean for us? Like, what does this mean for blockchain? That's the part I don't quite understand aside from, okay, cool. Vitalik's saying something about being able to run a validator from my phone because it doesn't, it's so compressed. It's yeah, like stealth. no clue. I'm just going to go back to more metaphors. If, <laughs> <laughs> the, if, if the internet is a bunch of just like fractal nooks and crannies, what, is, what ZK snarking the blockchain does is it compresses the atomic unit of Ethereum down to a very small amount that allows it to seep into all the nooks and crannies of the internet. Hmm. So like, it's just, it permeates the internet way easier because of how just like manageable, compressed, small and easy it is. And when you say, when, when it says on the road to ZK snark, everything, mm -hmm. ZK snarkifying everything, 
the mempool, the layer everything? one. Everything means I everything. I, I think, yeah, I think it means everything. That yeah. seems like a big thing, and that's yeah, something. well, because like, yeah, I guess it fits under the category of like zk snarks are a big deal because like, I think you can do that for any, everything. I think you can do that for everything. Like you can, you can, you can put anything through a zk snark. I guess. Another I don't know thing why you flag. would do put it. Yeah. It's uh-huh. also in the category of things that aren't happening in the next year or two, and so I'm just not paying as mm-hmm. much attention to it as uh, you know as withdrawals obviously and proto dink sharding but like it is out there and it's really interesting right. and i wonder if there's going to be like next gen zk snark blockchains technologies if that's going to be a narrative at some point you know what i mean the the other thing on rollups did you think his uh, what were your thoughts on his you know rollups he said um excited zk evms came way faster than he thought disappointed fraud proofs optimistic uh roll-up fraud proofs have not progressed as quickly as he'd hoped and that was also a kind of a light bulb moment for me of oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. he actually threw out the tantalizing concept that possibly some optimistic roll-ups it'd be a quicker path for them to just zk themselves rather than finish out the fraud proof stuff that they were working on Right. This is yeah, so, uh, something I haven't ZK, explored. ZK uh, Sync goes to mainnet in like 37 days. Uh, it'll be like 35 days from the time of, if you're listening to this on Monday or so. No, 34 days. Um, and they say they have their prover ready to go. And so if that's true, that's awesome. Uh, and yeah, I think it makes a big plant, flags a, plants a big flag in the ground saying, yeah, like, Yo, we beat the optimistic rollups. They're gonna say that you know they're gonna say that because the rollup wars right. are just getting started, and um, you know we love all of our children, but um, they're our children are gonna but be. But some fighting. can run faster than others. <laughs> some are better at different things, is what I tell my kids. <laughs> you know that's true. Uh, we all have strengths, um, right. different right. strengths. Well, uh, this is also perfect content for my panel tomorrow because I'm doing uh, oh. Missouri Mainnet. Yeah, I'm hosting hosting a panel with Arbitrum, zk Sync, Polygon, and somebody from Avalanche, which is gonna be funny. <laughs> so this is gonna be I'm gonna totally bring this up. Yeah, you definitely should. Um, all right, anything else on kind of the first piece, or you want to get to like the philosophy and I, the other? We're gonna go second. into the second piece. All second right. Half. Well, I mean, yeah. I think that we already knew. I already knew Vitalik's take on. Ethereum not being a network state. It was kind of anticipated. Right. And the basic idea that um, it's more like TCP IP, right? Like it's more like the internet, right? So it's a collection of all of these different communities or nation states. Um, Right. Ethereum is like minimum viable values. It doesn't want to have any more values embedded in it than what's necessary to like function. Yeah. And that, that's really important. And like to your point about the WEF or like kind of like um, the evil, like cent- shadowy central bankers, right? Which is uh, maybe a uh, stereotype, maybe not. I think there's an element of truth and an element of like, we think of them as shadowy, you know, central bankers. They think of us as shadowy super coders and you know, like there's some truth like in the middle probably. But um, the WEF could not build Ethereum on top of like you couldn't build Ethereum on top of the WEF, right? But right. I think you can build like a WEF, like central bank digital currency on top of Ethereum. 
And this goes back to the point of like, you can't build something decentralized on top of something centralized, but you can do the reverse. You can, mm -hmm. you can build something centralized on top of something decentralized, which is kind of like the idea of um, USDC, which is kind of a, a WEF type of coin. Right. We can whitelist, we can blacklist you. It's like a prototype central bank digital currency is, is honestly what it is. Um, and that could be built on top of Ethereum, but you can't build an Ethereum on top of like a centralized uh, world economic forum kind of platform or like a, you know, um, China's blockchain, you know, state run blockchain, for, for example. Um, but anyway, Ethereum as a substrate for these network states is kind of the, the idea that he is most aligned with, which is not a surprise to me. Yeah, I think I think his attitude is that like Ethereum can't be a network state because if it is a network state, then it's not all other network states as well because it's exclusionary, right? Like a public good is supposed to be non-rivalrous, non-exclusionary. And so if you say, hey, Ethereum is a network state, it's like, well, one network state is just one particular flavor of what all possible network states. Right. So Ethereum needs to be the meta network state. And I think he liked that phrasing when I gave it to him, the meta network state. But that's going back to what we're talking about, which is just like the meta network state is just minimum viable values. And all that is, is connecting infrastructure. And that's all it is. Well, I also think he was trying to um, talk about Ethereum. It's plumbing. Ethereum is plumbing between networks. Yeah, states. he was trying to talk about Ethereum being kind of uh, pluralistic and being sort of like big tent. And he was trying mm -hmm. to do that while describing the Brantley case of like, I could tell it's very, it's very hard to do. So in today's climate, I feel like David, if you say something like we're big tent, right? Mm -hmm. um, you could actually like get canceled for saying that right. you are a oh, big you're tent including, movement. You're including skinheads and, and KKK members <laughs> yes. in your tent? Sick, dude. Exactly. And right. so I could tell that it was hard for him to talk about the Brantley case, but the point he was making is Ethereum is big tent. It was hard for him to talk right. about the Brantley case without actually being canceled for saying Ethereum right. is big tent, <laughs> right? right? Which is right. like, okay, I, th I think that is a departure in um, like values is, is you just mm -hmm. have to believe in credible neutrality at the protocol layer and that different social groups can make these decisions and decide to cancel Brantley or not or cancel someone mm -hmm. else or not. But like the protocol shouldn't be making them. And I think that is the point that he, right. that he was making. But some people will get pissed off and cancel you for saying that. Right. Um, like, yeah, well, I mean, we don't have to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> we don't want to get canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, yes, there's like canceling for canceling sake. And I think the Ethereum community that you definitely saw that split where like a lot of like the newcomers who got in because of like the art side of NFT uh, of NFTs were very different than like the old timers who came in because of like they saw the Ethereum protocol in 2016 and 2017. Like the reasons why these people are here are very different. But now we're in the same room. And so now we have to like tussle with the same like political agendas totally. or different political agendas. And I will agree that I feel like it, it fell where it should have and where it probably was, yeah. was meant to. And it was a it was a reasonably good outcome. It was also contained. Yes. Like if you weren't paying attention to ENS, you just weren't exposed to it. Yes. And then uh and also as an owner of ENS names and and friends with other people who play the ENS speculation game, they just didn't care. I was like, oh, if you did Dow care, you could undelegate, you could vote, you could right. delegate for someone else, right. you could, you know, right. there was lots you of optionality, voice, yeah. which is kind mm -hmm. of how how the uh 
how it should work, I think, in these cases. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Also on corporate governance versus um, nation state governance. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the post he wrote about that. I don't know if you, uh, I know you were, you were going through it. I don't know if, did you ever finish the, his post on that? No, not not by the time we recorded. It's no. super good, man. Uh, and I'll just say, I think it's um it's an interesting pushback on the idea that all DAOs should be, like the thing missing right. from DAOs is just corporate governance, and that's what we have. And the right. the, I guess the um the nuanced view of that is no um some DAOs if they have a squishy human layer, okay, then maybe it makes more sense for them to be run like corporations. But there's this whole space for maybe a small set, but an mm -hmm. instrumental and important set of DAOs whose purpose and whose use case is maximal decentralization, like fairness, and they're willing to accept the trade-offs of not as quick decision-making, some other trade-offs, right? There's a set of use cases where corporate governance shouldn't just be applied to those things and then there's also these like hybrid things in the middle and so i think i've gone a little bit like um pro dow corporate governance um over the last few months hearing like arguments from hasu and and others and then this is also kind of like this idea has sort of moderated my position where it's like no in certain cases you should pursue corporate governance but then you should also be open to like new non-corporate governance um you know ways of organizing a dao similar to ethereum that are are different and so we 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 need to look at the political science playbook we also need to look at the corporate um structure playbook it's not one or the other there can be some combination right. as well i think we're falling into the trap that like Corporate governance is good for corporations, which is a smaller subset of what DAOs can be. Yes. So DAOs that act and feel like corporate governance stuff should, should be. be corporate governance yeah. stuff. And then there's also the broader scope of DAOs, which are just like capital formation DAOs like Ukraine. Like, what are we going to do? Go to Ukraine DAO and be like, you guys need to start running yourselves like a corporation. Right. It's like, no, that's inappropriate. Right. Same thing with Vita DAO, right? Which are the two DAOs that Vitalik used as an example yes. in, the, in that blog post. Yes. But I think when we were doing this like campaign with Hazu a while ago, uh, and we were like, yeah, your DAOs need to like focus on corporate governance and like basic strategies. That's because all of these, all the listeners who are like into that world are like, make the token price go up, <laughs> make token go yeah. up. And like, okay, you want token go up? You need corporate governance. Like Ukraine DAO, no token, no corporate governance. Vita DAO, pretty sure there's no token there. No corporate governance. So like if you want Ethereum, one number go Ethereum up. Ethereum DAO? I would argue, like, and we've made this argument before, that Ethereum is a DAO, mm -hmm. right? Let's, like, right. another original definition of what a DAO is, right? Yeah, the actual, tent, yeah, right. Uh -huh. Ethereum's a DAO, no cor corporate governance, and it's still shipped, merge, and number has gone up. Sure. Like, sure. you got to be open it to that, It does too. have some sort of... Yeah, it doesn't have corporate governance. You're it's right. It's definitely not corporate governance. But it is it is a different kind of DAO though. Yeah. It is a different kind of DAO. And there's room for that in the kind of the landscape of DAOs. And the goal of Ethereum isn't to have ETH number go up. It's to have Ethereum economy go up. And the ETH number go up side of things is a happy byproduct of that. I'm very happy that that's a yes, I know you're direct byproduct. <laughs> but it's it's the point of Ethereum is to produce economies, not to pump ETH. That's Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um all right, let's uh, let's talk about AIs f for a minute. So, um, mm -hmm. I sense that there's a lot of thought 
that has gone into some of his yeah. positions is probably going uh-huh. to be come out. That's probably going to come out in blog posts and other forms over the months yeah. to come. And I'm very curious to, to hear those thoughts. Uh, it seems yeah. like we just scratched the surface on right. Vitalik. To be, to be continued. Yeah. yeah. But um, thinking that it will be, I mean, I guess for me, why is this on the forefront for me? Like, I know I was really excited to ask him this question. I'm glad Danny brought it up, right? Because um, it's always been interesting to me in general, like having read Nick Bolstrom books, like super intelligence, that sort of thing. So just thinking about the sci-fi existential risk of it and the long-term nature of it has been interesting. But then David, I feel like um, I've been actually seeing it start to materialize in the real world. And like we've seen this in the form of like social media algorithms and that sort of thing, which is more insidious and like percentage improvement per year. But like, I think I've said this to you before and you introduced me to this product, like mid journey. This is like mm-hmm. a, a very concrete, it's an AI, it's a AI art generation technology mm-hmm. where you put in some keywords and it produces incredible art on the other side. And there are all sorts of flavors of this. This is just a, right. a an AI that lives in our Discord channel and produces... It's a bot. The, it's a it's bot. crazy. And like, I am blown away by the imagery that if you had asked me, I would have said that this is coming from like, you know, the 2050s or something or the 2060s. Like, it will be decades before computers are able to, to match the... Um, the subjective art capability of a human being based on like a, you know, a string of keywords and it's already here. Like I, right. and then to hear Vitalik say, yeah, the people in Silicon Valley, or maybe these are the Philip Morris of, of AI, so maybe they're biased, but they're saying that like, think about advanced general intelligence a decade from now. I don't, don't think right. about 2075. It's coming way sooner. Right. right. I'm, rem- I'm reminded of, um, when we were making the claim about like, is the merge going to work or not? And I made the claim that like, well, the closer you get to the shippers of the merge, the more bullish they are that it's totally going to yes. work. And I feel like if Vitalik is at like the Stanford blockchain week or if that, is that where he met the AI people somewhere around there? And he's like, that is, that's like asking the ETH devs, is the merge going to work? They know the answer. <laughs> That's, that's, they're the ones that are creating the answer. And so like, if the, he's asking the source, like, and so like, maybe like, oh yeah, they're biased. They're, they're super bullish. They're like Ryan and David. They're just bullish ether all the time, no matter what the price is. I don't know about that. I think that like, they're the epicenter of just like AI. And so like, if they're saying like generalized intelligence AI is at the end of this decade, then like, I'm going to be inclined to believe that. I mean, that's a big freaking deal, right? It's like, you yeah. know, like, Ruh-roh. yeah. I mean, history of hum- human evolution, right? We had Homo erectus. What happened to the last species, right? Killed them. Did they? Or did we kill them? them? Did they integrate into Homo sapiens? Are we kind of one and the same? Do we ha- now have their genes expressed in our uh, genes? No, we killed them all. I mean, yeah. we de- like... There's a, there's a book I read that... that like, are you talking about, could you talking about had... Neanderthals? Or are you talking about Homo erectus? No, there's like, there's like hundreds of different like Homo species. Right that that branched off and like there was there was once a world that there was like many many different homos all like tribes of of, it's weird to say that tribes of homos all over the world and homo erectus killed them all 
We we killed and raped them all. You're talking about and Homo sapiens. We said that there there are many theories excuse me, about excuse this. Me, eventually, yes. Homo sapiens. Yes, yes. and yeah. that, that's certainly and, there's some maybe compelling evidence for that um, on the Neanderthal side of things, where like Homo sapiens yeah. and Neanderthals were kind of coexisting in pockets of. I'm Europe. saying the Neanderthals were the first. They were the first ones to go, but like all other flavors of uh, branches of humans that also spawned out of Homo habilis and the handy handyman Homo. I, I, Erectus, There's just like, not a lot of the, we killed them all, well, Ryan. We're bad. Maybe, we're bad species. Maybe, maybe we killed them all, or maybe we like bred with them all. Whatever. Like, there's a fusion. I, I think there's something like. I'm gonna go with genocide. I think there's something like with you know the average human has between like one and four percent Neanderthal uh, genotypes, mm-hmm. uh, like in in their DNA, like right now. Um, but anyway, a new species has is possibly right. entering the fray here. Right. So we've got various humanoids up to this point. Homo sapiens, cool. This is the apex. Oh, no, it's not. Now we had advanced right. general intelligence, you know, homo automation. It's it's kind of a product of right. humanity. But that's that's also going to branch off into many, many different branches. And then one's going to win. It's in our lifetime. I'm just saying it's won. in our lifetime. Yeah. And I, I, it's going to be on the internet. That's crazy. It's, that's where the battleground well, is. It, and I do think that there's a, there's going to be an interaction. I do think the most interesting technologies, apart from like, um, you know, biotech, which is kind of like mm-hmm. cool in and of itself, but internet technologies, purely digital technologies are AI and crypto. And I do think that mm-hmm. there is a, a cage match ahead, right? Like just like Vitalik and the decentralizers versus like, mm-hmm. you know, the AI, 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 and the centralizers. Yeah, like um, I'm just, I just feel sad for all the crypto Twitter traders out there who are just going to get absolutely worked by AI, AI trading well, bots. But, but what always happens, what always, what generally happens is, I, I think people in AI will say is like, well, the first, the first step is like cyborg, the cyborg step, right? Where it's, it's not going to be just the human trader; it's going to be the, um, like. Uh, the human the human AI the human combo. AI combo. So it's the AI plus the human assist. Um, co- well, that makes sense. Wait a second. I feel like I would be good at that because I'm shitty at trading, <laughs> but I know you, I know like the meta of crypto pretty yeah, well. Yeah, but 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 if everyone has the access to the same AI, well, I guess I guess what you're doing but they is they don't have access to the same information. It's kind of like Midjourney. Is you just put in yeah. the the text, and so Midjourney right. doesn't produce something that is appealing subjectively to humans on its own. It still needs the, right. the 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 meat. The, the meat yeah. has to like mm-hmm. put in some like things that we think are subjectively interesting, the inputs, and yeah. then then it spawns. So I guess maybe the the AI would still need your brain a little bit, David, the AI trader, to figure out what the meta Hopefully. is, and then go trade that. Hopefully, I won't be in the first round of humans to be killed off. <laughs> DeFi tokens. Anyway, it's interesting. I would like to do more content on that. It seems like Vitalik's exploring it too. Look, that's yeah. it. The, the intersection of like no one knows how to talk about it because it's so far out there but the intersection of AI and blockchain is crazy well all like, of- there, there's like AI stuff on the blockchain which I don't really give much credence to but like yo we're gonna have robots with intelligence and they're gonna be able to spin up 10,000 bank accounts in a second like there's what an, happens next? there's an element of well I mean if if the AI goes evil if that all goes badly then it's probably bad for everything but like it's also like oh did we just create a uh, digital banking system and property rights system for a bunch of AIs is that what we created we 100 and now they're yes. going to be yeah, like the answer to that is yes they're going to be able to use this and leverage this far better than than we can so like uh, there is we're gonna we need to set up a foundation that makes sure that ether 
distribution stays in the hands of the guys. Uh. <laughs> so we can control it theory. Have you ever heard um, <laughs> have you ever heard Eric Schmidt's take uh, on I I believe in freedom of speech, just not for robots? Is his take? And the the idea here mm. is basically like um, on Twitter, do you know of your replies what percentage of our real civil resistant human beings, like real people, like versus bots? The answer is you don't. And what's interesting about our current mm. like setup on the internet right now and like all of our social media is we can't really we can't really tell the difference. And we kind of like are giving equal weighting in terms of freedom of speech on our on our social media protocols to the robots. And the robots are just like puppet accounts from algorithms managed by like some centralized actor who's trying to influence you, you know, influence the population in one direction or another. And so he was like calling for like, I believe in freedom of speech on the internet, but not for robots. Anyway, there's just so many things to unpack here. Right. But have you heard yeah, that? Yeah, but then, then we, uh, we start uh, having relationships with our AIs and we, ha we begin this relationship by like censoring them and suppressing them. This is why I, I use Siri a lot. Uh, like, hey Siri, what time is it? Blah, 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 blah. Now she's gonna tell me. Uh, and I would say, oh, thank you for oh, telling me. Be nice, kind to be nice AIs? to me. Oh, I'm super, I'm, I'm very kind really? to all my Really, is this a thing to you? Life. Yes. Is yes. this like a karma yes, thing or do you believe like deeply that? Um... I think, well, we are training our AIs and we are training the algorithms and how we interact with them. And so I would like, and so like imagine like a baby being born and it's looking around is its environment hostile to it, or is its environment but nice Siri's and friendly not an to AI it? AI yet, like uh, not yet, but, but it's collecting all the data. These are th it's all about the data. The you got to input the you got to input the nice data, and so like there's maybe there's a future world where like all the people who were mean to their AIs and mean to their series and Alexas get put in like robot concentration God, camps, dude. and I'm not going to be one of them, yeah. Ryan. Okay, all right. Well, I respect that, and. Um, if I end up in one, please like visit me or please like uh, plead on my behalf or do something with our new AI. Uh, the robots. It would, I don't <laughs> People think I'm a robot. Only it, they, like that's got to count only for something. They let me. Yeah. That's got to be something. Uh, anyway, guys, thanks for hanging with us. Thank you for being premium members. This has been the debrief. Cheers. I hope you got a chuckle out of that. <laughs>